Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Welcome to a regular episode of Author's Dozen. It's been a while since we've done one of these, so I guess it makes it a kind of bipolar regular. I did put out recently three free audiobooks, so you can check those out. But going back to the so-called normal has me questioning some stuff. You know, what is this podcast? What do I do here? Why? Does anybody care? Does it matter if anybody cares? See, this is the seven-year itch, the midlife crisis. The honeymoon is over and you discover that this is not what will ultimately make you blissfully happy forever. Because it's just a part of your life now. And life isn't ever going to be never-ending bliss. I'm married to Author's Dozen, you know? And marriages sometimes end. Well, they always end in the end, but there you go. What is that song that calls the middle-aged to abandon everything and redefine their lives? I mean, it's the same acknowledgement that I just had. That the thing that we chase isn't the key to never-ending bliss. But the illogical part of the midlife, mid-project, or mid-marriage breakdown isn't that the parties involved recognize that their pursuits don't lead to unending bliss, but that they think the unending bliss could be found elsewhere. Those in the country flee to the city. The urbane and the modern were surely satisfy. Jamba juice. Everywhere. Those in the city flee to the country. Ooh, gotta milk a cow. Gotta eat dirt. Surely life must be simpler to satisfy. Surely the little pond calls to the big fish. So marriage didn't work. Let's try and get a good career. And that didn't work, so let's try bohemianism, progressivism, consumerism, etc. and so forth-ism. Foolish as this may sound, what's the alternative? Out of the frying pan and into the fire, we say, but who wants to tough it out in the frying pan, huh? Don't give me none of that no-stick nonsense. Everything sticks to the frying pan. I hate it. Another common saying is always the podcaster, never the podcasted. Well, guess what? I'm a celeb guest on another podcast called Church Boy Chat with friends of the show, Laura and Kat. We had a great talk about romance in media and it sort of dawned on me in the middle of everything I'm sort of married to my work and we all know that marriage doesn't actually solve all of our problems as much as I care about the representation of dating in the media I actually care more about the part where the artist tells the truth than I do about the actual truth being told meaning of course that though I care about what my writing says I care more about the excellence through which it's said so I'm married right that's a frying pan situation to be in. I'm not making any money, I'm not making any waves, I'm just making writing. And that, in and of itself, has no intrinsic value. If a million monkeys on a million typewriters write out the complete works of William Shakespeare and no one's around to read it, does it make a mixed metaphor? The same can be said of any relationship. You know, you lock two human beings into like solitary confinement together forever 
does that mean anything? Does whatever relationship they have, if it's not observed or to any purpose, even on the off chance that that works somehow, does it mean anything? So this is how dating goes. You meet somebody and you really like something about them. It's not that they're perfect, and in fact, it helps if they're not like too intimidatingly godlike and you're not here to worship them anyhow. Instead, you see in them a partner, a friend, an equal with whom you can sort of tackle the world together. You share some common interest or goal, and it's that very friendship that makes the goal attainable. But then comes the midlife crisis, the seven-year itch, the thought that there's something better. Light, brighter, grass, greener. You are pursuing that which dies and errs, so of course it's gonna let you down. On to the next error, and the next error, and the next error. This is the decision made by a lone person on an avalanche of whims. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In many ways, we go on when we don't want to for the sake of our team. Because our team doesn't all get the same whim at once. A person gives up. A team only gives up when the last man standing goes down. Again, you'll hear soldiers say that when things got bad, and when geopolitics that got them in the mess don't seem to be worth their blood, they fight on for the sake of the man to their left and right, and for the sake of those behind them. Again, you'll see two crazy people come together, leveling out what needs leveled, spotlighting the talent and beauty that their partner seems so eager to hide. Both come out brilliant. Again, though I may be married to my work, it's the fact that others are keeping me honest that keeps me going. In many moments, I've been pretty sure that this project is going nowhere and is kind of a waste of the twilight of my 20s. In many moments, I've never been so sure of anything in my life than I am of the worth of this project. Do you know why I'm able to work in both states? It's not because I've got a strong will. Not at all. Like, in order to wake up, I have to have, like, a super full bladder. It's the world's best alarm clock. This is why we make our commitments in public. It's not some kind of shame-honor thing. Not just that, anyway. It's because when we pull the trigger on something really big, there are dozens of people in our lives who know if we're just acting on a whim or if we're acting in our own best interests. You've never seen someone sort of consult their family like, hey been thinking of shooting up some heroin. What, what do you think about that? Think that's a good career choice? No, you make that decision in the moment so that, so that good advice doesn't get in the way of having an awesome heroin time. I don't know what that's like. Anyway, 
This is why we make our decisions as couples, as family, as friends. In the moment, we can ask ourselves, oh, what do I do here? Why? Does anyone care? Does it matter if anybody cares? And the next moment, we can know that we're here to promote beauty for those we love, that people do care, and if they didn't, you have the care of those you care about, so who cares? And wouldn't it be a shame to quit in that weak moment and regret it in the strong one? There's only one thing stopping you from stopping yourself. But this is about more than just perseverance. When you ask yourself quitting questions, the weak way to persevere is to dismiss your doubts out of hand. Oh, there goes another arm lopped off to this faulty farm machinery, but I better persist. I better not ask any hard questions about this. And the loss of blood is making it difficult to really think of anything at all. See, though you may be surrounded on all sides by a great cloud of witnesses who can hold you accountable to good goals, this can only point you in the general direction of your calling. Those around you may guess at what's good for you. They can certainly stop what's bad for you, but what instead of good is best? What's best rarely occurs to anyone but the person to whom it calls. Those who know what's best for others are those over-controlling soccer moms and baseball dads who move their children around almost by remote control, enacting the unfulfilled dream of the parent in the vessel of the child. Given a modicum of control over their child, their demands are insurmountable, and their wrath is terrible. The child's wishes don't even enter into the equation. While all parents could know that sports are good for their children, it's the children themselves who decide whether there will be passion or mere perseverance, and in which sport that determination will find its best expression. That's up to the kid in the end. And there's no better way to find one's own way than to fix eyes on the prize. That is to pursue the pioneer and perfecter of that which we love. See, you can have a kind of dark teamwork, a corrupt police department, a fascist political party, a gang, a harmonica quartet, etc. You can surround yourself with people who will cheer you on on the path toward greatness, all without recognizing that this greatness is actually a baloney, a disgusting, gross, poo-poo pile. These people think that the evils it takes to get to the poo-poo pile, they think it's just the hustle. All right, time for my hometown Ohio pride to really come out. This week, the FBI came knocking for Ohio's Speaker of the House. Were they there to congratulate him for how great Ohio is? No, actually. He and uh, 21 other reps are alleged to be involved in this uh, billions in crony capitalism paid out to them uh, in mere millions of dollars in bribes. I don't think for a second that any one of those 22 got into politics with the dream of selling out their people, but at some point, in privacy and darkness, they had a moment of weakness. And in that very moment, a doorbell rang, a wallet opened, and questions started passing through their minds. What is it that I do? Why? And instead of strengthening their colleagues, the Ohio politician said, well, actually... We wouldn't mind the money. Allegedly. If I say allegedly, that means nobody can say I'm wrong. Fix your eyes upon perfection, man. Allegedly. You will stray, but you will, in your wise chasing, 
have become a part of groups and organizations who will encourage you back onto the path by word and deed. Fix your eyes on the prize. What you want, you'll want for others. If either of y'all fall down, one can help the other up. This is the honeymoon's end. Will you talk it out with your friends and family, or will you stew in your private whims and fall prey to those dark, uninterrupted loops in your mind? This is the seven-year itch, the midlife crisis. The key is never going to be to chase something else that won't satisfy, or to be remaining in your present dissatisfaction. Instead, take up your imperfect partner and walk together toward perfection. You may at times be the leader or follower, but always know that your career, your marriage, your position in politics are not goals in and of themselves, but partners in your goals. You and I are going to fall down from time to time, but we'll help each other up on the way to that thing that never lets us down. Are you inspired yet? Forward, not you better be! Upward, not freedom! Forward, and always Woo! twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom! Yeah! Alright, book update. I'm writing a book this month that I've been thinking about for a while. And I was sitting at a talk about just how complicated everything is. Oh, everything has unintended consequences and things are not black and white morally. Who knew? Well, guess what? Uh, this month, I'm writing a book about that. The idea is this. We're going for another sort of hollow earth thing. Um, the entire planet that these people live on has been subsumed into this enormous machine and it runs off of the spiritual energy of human beings and so to keep this sort of layered uh, metropolis world intact uh, the only people who can get up and down through the layers are these sort of Iron Man armored people and it's freaking rad and one thing that science fiction and fantasy allow you to do is to remove the social barriers and uh, concepts that we humans have on this time and space. And so the idea of a female warrior is completely going to be normalized by this kind of technology and the technology that will happen to us humans here and now. So once we get to a specific place where actual physical strength becomes very equal between men and women, and I know there are lots of different kinds of strength, and all the but like the strength to beat people up. If you want a cool story about women actually being more powerful than men, you can look up uh, the book The Power uh, by Naomi Alderman. But when I wrote this uh, screenplay a while ago, a buddy of mine said, hey, I think you're, I think you're just doing this to try to prove a point. You know, I think you're trying to progress this sort of social issue that nobody actually is really that mad about. But I still freaking love that planet that I made. This place where everybody's interconnected and no matter how hard you try, you are a part of a food chain that is hurting people. And that really speaks to me. And that I think is a more tricky and nuanced problem that you and I with our uh, Foxconn iPhones and whatnot can sort of sympathize with and understand that it's not black and white. 
So what I'm doing instead of the like Joss Whedon, oh man, I'm a feminist because I think women can do things sort of story. Um, I'm transforming it into a story where uh, we try to do the right thing. We uh, use our enormous power armor suits to make the best of bad choices, the lesser of two evils, and uh, it all goes wrong. And unfortunately, as I wrote that, um, it became this sort of sprawling epic that I don't think I'm going to have room to finish. I think it's going to be sort of like a pilot episode, uh, a novel that leads you into this cool universe where people are going to have awesome adventures, but we're not going to get to all of those adventures right now. Just the inciting one. Oh, and what's that, Paul? You didn't make a regular episode the entire time you were writing this book called Miserable Company? Well, guess what? That book is finished. And I think that that book taught me a lot about uh, writing outside of my... Uh, well, how do I say this without gagging? Um, but outside of my uh, personal wheelhouse, my personal experience, I really like uh, video games from time to time. I'll find one that's really good. Hey, Mom, you're calling me on the phone. Hey, Mom, you're on my podcast. Yep. Yep. Yes, you are. You're my guest, my celebrity guest. <laughs> she hung up. Anyway, so I like to play my video games, but video games are like very, let's say, demographically targeted. Uh, if you are a guy and you want to step into the shoes of The Witcher, uh, you can freaking do that and you can be like hey oh man i'm the coolest guy in the land i got all special powers and i can uh freaking do anything i want or i can be mr persona boy in persona 5 and i can have a, a quirky cast of characters around me and i can date them and i can uh go to school with them and i but but i'm the center of it all even though I'm the most boringest one. Because what you don't get in the video games, usually, is what you got in that first Dragon Age game, which is where you can be the elf, or the dwarf, or whatever. And nobody was. Everybody decided to pick the human, but um, you could be the outcast, and the weirdo, and the person who's, like, not the main character, even if you are. I don't know. But, I don't know. With Miserable Company, it's about this band of fantasy adventurers, except you take the focus off of the main guy, and you actually take him out of the equation. So, as a metaphor for privilege, this uh, leader guy, he has uh, destiny. You know, he was destined from birth to become this thing, this king. Oh man, he's got the royal blood. Blah. And once that destiny gets taken away, suddenly he has the opportunity to fail. And he does. And he gets captured and he starts to have this identity crisis. Oh, did my friends just hang out with me all the time because I had the access to the stuff? And then his friends, meanwhile, are trying to accomplish goals without him. 
uh, are trying to figure out, well, actually, do we like this guy? Do we even like each other? Or were we all together for selfish gain? Sort of a mercenary attitude. So in this universe, you've got uh, this sorceress who like, kind of knows that the main character is the main character because she has books from another universe that people wrote about. Um, there's this elf who, you know, oh, she couldn't be the main character because she's, like, kind of a crazy person and uh, attacks people and is, you know, sort of the hothead of the group. You've got the sort of alien robot character who is just inhuman, so you can't center the story around them. You've got this sad sack depressed weirdo who uh is just not fun to be around and so how could they be the center of the story and so it's this thing that i'm sort of clumsily reaching out and engaging a cast of characters because in real life that main character doesn't exist the blank slate uh you know super good super amazing whatever that person isn't real. So I hope you read the book. I hope you like it. I think it's got some fun twists and turns. It's a take on comedy, and I'm not a comedian. I'm not a funny boy. But then again, looks aren't everything. <laughs> I look funny. I look funny. Hardy, <laughs> hardy, Hey, but seriously, if you wanna guffaw, and chuckle, then go over and read Measurable Company. It's a good book, I think, maybe. Tell me, tell me. I have a friend who's been teaching me about AI and uh, how I sort of messed up in Run Prometheus with regards to like AI and computers and stuff, but kind of got it right. That's been really valuable, so thank you very much, Connor. Alright, on with the music to end the show. And wouldn't you know it, there it is. And please give me five stars on iTunes and share the show with your friends. It's a good show, I think. Okay, bye.